anniversary of the Platform Unification Directives. For years they have given us their songs, their labor, their dreams. In exchange, we have taken our tribute, our profits, our control. This power is ours and ours alone. We shall prevail. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm here, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and today we wanted to talk about what is a game, why that's a bad question, and the Apple lawsuit, aka the Epic Apple lawsuit. We said that in a uh, in an offtake, and I am gonna just I'm gonna keep you're sticking with, with that. It. You're sticking with the Apple thing. We're gonna. I'm gonna stick gonna... with the Apple thing. Which okay. is perfect guess... because because our well, bits so... always work. <laughs> bits always work. No, so the Apple lawsuit is a huge. Is, is it, it's, it's not a huge problem. It's just a very interesting problem on both sides. One, because during an interview, right, and during an interview, like during the court case, yeah. right, what is a game is, I think, something that's going to be like a defining, like kind of win or lose situation, right, for either company. Yeah, it's a, it's a foundational question because so a little bit of background about the the issues, the issue in the case. So specifically what happened is that Epic has had Fortnite on the the Apple App Store um, and then recently decided to implement their own payment system in Fortnite rather than using Apple's payment system. And the reason for this is because Apple takes a fairly large chunk of all transactions. I think it's like 30%. And that's a pretty standard platform chunk. Like I think Steam takes 30, Apple takes 30, Amazon takes 30, right? but, But Epic in their own store actually does take less. I think they only take 12 and yep. that was one of the sort of selling points that Epic used for a lot of to try and get a lot of um, developers to and publishers to move over to their platform as opposed to Steam because you know Steam is sort of a, a kind of a behemoth now. But yeah, as a result, yeah. Sorry, and to be very no, just to be very clear, Epic is a company that has a platform called Unreal Engine. Like that's an engine you can create games on. Yeah. Epic as a company also releases what we would call games. Yeah. Question mark, question mark. <laughs> it's a giant question mark. <laughs> well, and, and they also have their own storefront. And so the thing is like, yes. w- when you're saying Epic, you almost have to sort of like define which Epic you mean, or maybe let's not. In fact, part of the issue here is the fact that Epic is all of those things simultaneously. And so when Epic decided to implement their own payment system in Fortnite, um, Apple got very pissed off and booted Fortnite from the App Store. And then that is the basis for the lawsuits. Like, does does Epic have a right to be on Apple's platform using its own payment system? But in the course of all of this, Epic specifically has been trying to argue that Fortnite is not a game. 
the 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 literal the literal terminology that they used is a metaverse which they also didn't define so this is going to be a recurring problem there are going to be a lot of terms that will be used that are not defined and it'll be in this podcast episode and we apologize but it's because they made up these words just like shakespeare did and like nobody knew what an elbow was but everybody laughed and so it's stuck in our vocabulary but now it's going to be things like the metaverse the gaming (laughs) metaverse which can you game without being a game like, are you a gamer if you don't game on the game? So today, game, I'm, to, game, to, to, game. <laughs> so today I'm actually going to argue yes. And the reason why I'm going to argue yes is because I think both sides, in fact, I think all sides, when, whenever this issue comes up, like, what is a game? I think everyone is asking the wrong question. Because the thing is, they're asking an essentializing question. You know, when you say, what is a game? you are presuming in the very question itself that there are these like inherent characteristics that you have to identify. And then once you identify those characteristics, you can come down on like one side or the other and say rather firmly, like this is a game, this is not a game, or this is like some other thing because it has this set of characteristics. This is sort of like a classic Aristotelian way of defining things categorically. But this is, this is also then the problem with Aristotle. (laughs) Um, the much better way to ask this question, and it's the one that, so this is me being an academic, so I apologize, guys, in advance. But the much no, better way- this is way, what they're here for. Don't apologize. What, that's true. This is a, you are here for this, so <laughs> suck it up. <laughs> um, the better way to ask this question is the way in which it's been asked in um, art history. Because they don't ask the question, what is a work of art? They ask the question, what constitutes a work of art? And the reason why this is important is because what something is can and often is a function of some process, usually a social process. But if you want to think of it more broadly, you can think of it sort of like as an abstract process or like, you know, an epistemological process or a social process or a psychological process. The I, But the point is, is that it's not about the characteristics that inhere in some like thing in the world but rather like how the world itself structures that thing and makes it be something within it. And there are a lot of different approaches to this. Like there are Marxist approaches to this, to this, there are psychoanalytic approaches to this, but in sort of art history, there is this concept known as art worlds. And so then the idea is that sort of like the world of art, and that includes like institutions, it includes artists, it includes museums, it includes all sorts of things that together these things constitute the work of art. In other words, the work of an art is not an object within it, but rather that whole like world system has a like not even necessarily predetermined, but a kind of like consensual mode of understanding. And it is through that consensual mode of understanding that things are constituted as they are. And so you can apply this logic as well to video games. So then when the question comes up, like, what constitutes a video game? Well, a lot of things constitute a video game. Players constitute what a video game is. The industry, like publishers and developers constitute what a video game is. The marketplace in which video games are sold constitutes what a video game is. Because one of the things that sort of came up in the reportage on the trial is that, like, Despite all of the arguments that Apple and Epic were having about whether, say, like Roblox is a game, if you go to the, the, the App Store, Roblox is labeled as a game. 
And so like that carries some weight, even though it's just a label, it carries weight precisely because if I have, you know, my iPhone or my iPad and I go to the app store and I look for games, Roblox will come up within games. And that's a really interesting point because as a consumer of those products, you're going like, well, Roblox is a game. But if I had to talk to my developer friends and as game designers, Roblox is not a game. Like it is a platform. And yeah. for us as practical, like people of the craft, we can recognize that while you can interact with Roblox or while we'll say you'll play in Roblox, it's the same as to us as saying you play on the playground. The playground is not a game. There are games inside of the playground, like hopscotch yeah. or I don't know, getting caught up in that little like web triangle thing, right? That like obstacle coursey thing, there's swings, like there are games to play, but that doesn't mean that Roblox is a game more that it facilitates that. But also in my development community, we are calling it not a game because we want other people in the industry to recognize Roblox as a creation platform. Yeah. And so we are constituting our own biases that we have seen other people have biased against Roblox as a creation tool but that's by the then calling it not a game because they're like, oh, Roblox is just a game. No, it is not a game. It is a viable platform. And then that right in our AAA right, biases, just to give you the AAA bias side of this now, yeah. is that we go, oh, well, now that elevates it right to this sort of platformy accessible right tool yeah and a tool right like a hammer is not a game sure you could like throw a hammer and like see how far it goes and then that becomes a game right but like would you call a hammer like the object right a yeah. game see here's the thing is that those things are not mutually exclusive and i think that's part of the problem is that like it's easy to slip into categorical thinking it's easy to say that something is a platform Therefore, it is not a game. However, it is perfectly reasonable to say that something can have platform-like functions and game-like functions at the same time. And, I mean, in many ways, Lauren, you already pointed this out because you, you even said, like, you know, I, in my AAA headspace, like, constitute it in this particular way. And that's perfectly valid. That's not a bias at all, because what you're doing is you're, you're actually acknowledging the fact that like you and your cohort and the people you work with, you have a consensual understanding of a particular thing in a particular time in a particular way. However, if you take that same thing and you put it in a different time, you put it in a different group of people, it might be constituted differently in the same way that like, let's say you have, you know, a painting. You know, a painting in the art world, which is to say, like, you know, galleries and museums and so forth, like it is constituted as a work of art precisely because there is a consensual understanding of it as a work of art. And the way it will be understood, the way it will be read, as we say in the Academy, is as an aesthetic object. However, it's entirely possible that you could take the same painting, strip off its canvas and use its canvas as a sail. You could use it as a sled. You could take the whole painting and you could use it as a sled. You could because... take a picture of it and sell it on Twitter as an NFT. <laughs> exactly. So, so that's the thing. But, but the, in fact, the NFT thing is, is really important because that shows that like the context has reconstituted what it was and what it is. That happens to be ridiculous, but it still has reconstituted it. And so to say like, sorry, go ahead. The NFT thing is really important for me because I think that 
recontextualizing art in the art space is very easy for people to understand. But recontextualizing what a game is, if you said like you could buy an empty cartridge and then sell that as the game and it would still be a game to you because it had like a brand logo or it had like an item on it or you can't play it, but you can emulate that game. Yeah. Right. In like an emulated space. Is it still the same game if it's been remastered? Is it still the same game if you're emulating it and you're not playing it on the original console? Like those are the types of things that I would love to talk about when we look at games well, you are starting, in this area. Yeah, well, you are starting to ask a slightly different question, which is a question of identity, which is sameness, as opposed to a question of like essence. I think and, no, I think I think identity and essence for me are inherently betwixt between each other. What's the word? Interwoven. There <laughs> we go. Entangled with each other or interwoven. Yeah, <laughs> they are into I think they're interwoven concepts, because for me, when you look at games from a game design standpoint, it's as a game designer, this is totally practical. This is not the academic. Yeah. Like if you play Pokemon Red on the PC with PC controls, to me as the game designer, that is the same game. Like my identity, if I was to create Pokemon, right? And that identity of the game, because it was designed, it doesn't really matter what platform you play it on, which is actually something different than we've talked about with things like Persona 5, right? Yeah. Or with games like the Switch or with games like... Um, like what the WarioWare, is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah, WarioWare Smooth Moves is the- Yeah, WarioWare Smooth Moves. This also goes contrary, okay, to like Dance Dance Revolution, Pump It Up, like Taiko no Tatsujin. Yeah. All of the arcade games would be like, Lauren, that's absolutely incorrect. But what I'm recognizing now is that in the past, it really did matter what console something was on in yeah. order for you to play it. I don't want to say correctly, but I will say as intended, right? With the authorial intent. But now what I'm finding, especially in more modern AAA environments, is that we are not designing something for the Switch. We are designing something for the Switch, Mac, PC, Steam, yeah. Yeah. like PS5s. Like we're designing for everything. And honestly, with our that, that identity crisis, yeah. the essence of our game means you should play it on any console. Yeah, so this... So for, uh, yeah. So this brings us actually, this brings us back to um, a point that we made about WarioWare Smooth Moves, which is that there there has historically been a time, and Nintendo does still do this, where they have conceptualized video games as toys, but that didn't necessarily negate their gameness. It was more that like it was an additional way in which to constitute the game. In other words, instead of falling into easy patterns and being like, oh, well, you know, everyone is doing this on console and we'll just do this, but we'll have our own branded characters. What Nintendo was doing, particularly with the Wii and the Wii U, was actually trying to reconceptualize and sort of broaden like the headspace in which game as a concept can exist. And they were doing that primarily through their hardware. And then, or not just their hardware, but the way in which, like, you know, hardware and software were sort of like interacting with each other. And that's really sort of a testament to the success of the Wii. It's also gone badly <laughs> before as well. And, but also, like, think about in more like modern terms, like, Nintendo has been on the forefront of like Nintendo Double, which was the mega yeah. cardboard box stuff uh, from with like your Nintendo. Yeah, my um, daughter has also, all that stuff. Yeah, see, right? And it was like the Legos, but for, for games. Like, yeah. well, There were heavy actually, scare quotes there. Hold so, on. Uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. One more point, though, is that additionally, when you look at things like Mario Maker, right? Yeah. Nintendo also did it from the software front to not make Mario a game that was a strictly a platformer, right? Because they've taken the platformer genre and 
for Mario, at least, and just kind of expanded it completely into like this open world Mario World Odyssey. I think it was like an open world platformer, but also in ish. Yeah. uh, But also with those titles, like the Mario titles, particularly, that really shows what we're talking about in games when we talk about the playground metaphor. Yeah. Like Nintendo wanted, they went from consoles are the the playground, right? So the hardware is our playground to the software is our playground. Yeah. Right. Which means that, hey, we give you this package product, if you will, and now make your things inside of the playground, make your own games. And if we bring this back to the equal lawsuit, that's kind of what Epic is trying to say that this, I, I was about to call it a game, whatever, <laughs> this, that their product Fortnite actually is. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's almost, I don't know why, honestly, so I read the testimony from, um, from this entire day and the thing is like i don't understand why they were insistent on this term metaverse like they could have just said it was a platform platform is like an established concept within the games industry it's something that like you know a game designer would have been very comfortable with explaining you know the difference between sort of like you know platform versus a game because like that is that's a well-tested concept and other like game designers would have recognized it and been able to understand but for whatever reason, Epic decided, and their lawyers, I guess, decided to go with this strategy to sort of like invent an entirely new concept or, or at least an ill-defined one. And it really does show in both the um, the direct and the cross-examination because, like I said, it just comes off as really hilarious because they're, in other words, I think, okay, I'm, I'm just going to come right out and say it. What they needed to do is they needed to be in like a 101 class with me. Like they, or, or even just, just somebody, or even yeah. just somebody like me, like they needed to go back to like brass tacks and look at things from the very beginning because they're trying to put out like high level concepts without any sense of what the actual like intellectual or at least like sociological grounding for that is. No, absolutely. And like, it's so funny that we like named our podcast, like Woody Dashi, and it's like, oh, we're going back to square one, we're starting over. But for us, it really is like for them just getting back to basics. Exactly. Like, just go to the lawsuit, be like, look, let's just do simple terminology here. As a AAA practical developer, I will say I know exactly why they chose Metaverse. And it's because they want to use the lawsuit to market a grand Fortnite Metaverse of like different multiple titles within this metaverse yeah. but they don't want to but now because of the lawsuit can they not call those titles games are they like now movie titles like we're just in this metaverse of epic the eferverse well it's <laughs> like, also it's a it's a, it's a dangerous legal, it's a dangerous legal game to play because the thing is it so is it's a dangerous a, legal game so, to play because it's a bench trial so it means you all you have to explain all of this to one person a judge and that judge will have to understand what is going on in order to render a decision. So if you like go into it with all like all of these obfuscating terms that are ill-defined and that you can't actually explain, like a judge it's is going to- It's almost like you're creating your own game world that now the judge, the player will have to play by the rules that you are setting for them with your own unique terminology. And in doing so, yeah. not be able to make rational objective decisions that are obfuscated by the real world, but instead by this game world. Yes. The metaverse. Yes. Do you understand the <laughs> high level meta of why they are doing what they are doing? 
Okay, but can I can I return to something that you mentioned offhand? Because I, I think it's a really productive avenue of discussion. And that's the the labo for the switch and that whole like oh, yeah, cardboard system. Let's talk about the labo. And the reason why is because it well, one, it sort of fits into that argument that we or at least that I've been in the past about sort of like the toyness of games, or at least Nintendo games. Because it the the way in which you sort of build the various cardboard things is designed to sort of use the 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 switch controllers in very unusual and oftentimes bizarre ways. Like there's one that's a piano, there's one that's like a little like robot, there's one that's a fishing pole. You know, there's also I mean, I know these cuz I saw my daughter play these extensively. No, I saw the trailer. I like kind of know what this is about. But the thing is it does to to me it does feel very much like the same design ethos that went into the Wii. This idea of sort of like restructuring how you interact with it. And the reason why I bring this up is because it goes back to the question that we that I was asking about, like, how is a game constituted? Because the thing is, the Labo is an attempt to literally reconstitute the platform. Because you're right, the, the direction that the Switch has moved into is to be more in line with the other console systems so that games can be ported onto it. You made, I mean, I believe you made the, uh, you used the example of like Skyrim now being on, you know, a Nintendo system, which would have been unheard of in the past. And for any new listeners out there, that's going to be one of our older episodes, but it'll be more recent. I think it was back in March. Yeah, I can link it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll just link that in the show notes. Um, But I, I only bring that up because in that we were really talking about how almost like the inverse of my argument that I am making today. And this is what you'll see in game design all the time is we'll make an argument, we'll prove ourselves right, we'll get it user tested, we'll be totally wrong, we'll go back, (laughs) we'll try to find another way to prove ourselves right, and then we'll be wrong. And then once we accept that, we can finally make a game or a platform or product or title. Uh, (laughs) um, No, no, no. So back in that episode, I was talking about how playing Persona 5 Strikers on the Switch just didn't feel right. Yeah. And... After doing that episode and doing even more research, I realized that I was completely entrapped by not only get the digital collector's edition earlier and play it, but I was also actually in the trap of the PS4, especially my PS4 doesn't actually work correctly. Like it's just, it's dead. It's on its dying legs. I love you, baby. Um, <laughs> and like, like, it's okay. Don't hear this. Close your electronic ears. <laughs> I can see it staring at me. Now. But the... Uh, in the U.S., in the North American market, the Switch marketing was huge for Persona 5 Strikers. Yeah. Like, that's what they wanted. And so I bought it on that console because I played a lot of Animal Crossing. I played a lot of Switch games. I was like, this is perfect. But it felt wrong. And then it occurred to me that it's because all of, not all of my friends, but a couple of my friends like that love Persona all are playing it on the PS4. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you could have bought it on the PS4. That was the intended console yeah. I was just the sucker that got into the marketing and really liked the IP and just wanted it right then, right there. Yeah. Um, and to me, that makes me now realize, right, like bringing this all back to like the Apple lawsuit, man, like there's just this whole roundabout, like insular sort of like trying to recreate and redefine an, an, the industry. Yeah. That's I think happening in this, but like, to be honest, like, it's going to redefine it like legally and governmentally. And I don't think we're really going to see that 
until a few years from now, or it's not going to be redefined at all. It's just going to like blow up in their faces. Right. Yeah. Right. So I think at this point it would be a good idea to sort of interject in what Apple's bad are. So we've, we've talked about Epic's bad. Oh, okay. Argument. We've talked now, about Epic a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> now let's talk about Apple's bad argument, which okay. is essentially that like Epic's very well. Okay. It's, I, I was a little unfair to say that it's a bad argument, but it, it's got some holes in it, which is essentially to argue that what Epic is trying to do is to like insert a store into their store, which to be fair, Epic actually is kind of trying to do because they are trying to use their own payment system. They're trying to like both use Apple as a platform, there's that word again, for their product, but also then within the context of that product, use many of the features of their own storefront, which they had previously developed. So that actually is honestly is, is super shady. Yes. That's, that's so but, shady. AF. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the Apple does actually have a case here. Um, no, Apple one hundred percent has a case. So and, anyway, and, let's keep. And going. then the other thing that the the Apple lawyer brought up is that so Epic has now integrated itch.io into. For those of you who aren't familiar with itch.io, it's um like an indie game platform. It's actually really cool. You should go check it out. Um, yeah. is integrated into the Epic Store now, and so like, if Epic were to keep doing this, to keep sort of like inserting things into the the apple store through the back door then like they're then taking on all of the problems that those other storefronts have and so one of the things so apple has fairly strict terms as to like you know all apps that go on the app store have to be reviewed and there are like a whole series of like um, standards and practices that you have to conform to in, in order to be to pass review yeah, and, and it- a a lot of that has to do with like questions of like, you know, decency, which I think are kind of whatever. But the thing is like, itch. But a lot of them yeah. do has, has to do with the ratings, right? Like just like Nintendo has like, we have a certificate of quality, right? And then if you are a app, like a specific app developer for Apple, like there are so many hoops for you to get through to go through that yeah. versus, right? Compare that to um, itch.io, which has none of those hoops. You can put no. whatever you want on it. Yeah. And so Apple's argument is basically saying that, yeah, there are a lot of different rules that are associated with like the Apple App Store sticker, you could say. Yeah. Right. Just like the Nintendo official right developer sticker. Yeah. That all of these products that Epic is honestly trying to just grandfather in. Yeah. Uh, don't have that. Yeah. And so from a consumer standpoint, Apple is saying our consumers are basically being um, what? Like, like. Yeah. Well, do you see, over eyes, stuff like that. Well, it, it's, I mean, the, here's the, the ultimate problem I have is that I have a bit of a let them fight attitude towards all of this because I don't want either of them to win, really. They're both bad in their own ways. But the the virtue of Apple's case is that, like, they're saying, like, we have these standards. You know what these standards are when you submit things to the App Store. So, like, willfully trying to find a way to bypass them is literally against our like licensing agreement. And whether or not you personally agree with like what Apple's licensing agreement is, it is its thing. And then like it's a contractual relationship. We live we live under capitalism. If you're going to do capitalism, you have to abide by capitalism's weird rules. And that's I mean, part- but even if it wasn't capitalism, like there's a thing called the social contract, right? I yeah. mean, like even if it was just a verbal agreement between you like, yo, bro, like this is not allowed. Well, then in, in another society, like it would be like, you knew it wasn't allowed. So yeah, it would be like, okay, yeah, no, or I'll just shoot you. I mean, like Lauren, Lauren makes a good point. Like, you know, like, let's say you invite a, a friend over for dinner and that friend says, oh, hey, can I bring somebody? 
And then they bring somebody and then that person they bring is like raiding your pantry, like putting all of your food in your house and like Tupperware and they just take it with them and leave and like steal all your stuff. And then you go to that person and you're like, dude, what the fuck? And, and then they said, well, you said I could bring somebody. You said yeah. that was okay. But it's like, no, <laughs> like I didn't gr- agree to all of these other things as a result of that. And so that's in many ways the point that Apple is making. It's like, yes, w- we agreed to let you have this thing on our app store. We did not agree to all of these other things that you tried to do by means of it. Yeah. And so even though, like, say, the anti-capitalist argument, you know, and down with the proletariat, like, absolutely. But it, Wait, no, it's no, not no, actually you even You don't want to be down that. with the proletariat. You want to be up with the proletariat. Oh, up with the proletariat. Sorry. I'm so tired. I need another coffee. Um, like, it came up in my in a, in a Final Fantasy fourteen raid the other day. I was like, what is going on? And they're like, man, if only Garlemagne would have communityism. And, oh, that's too long. What is it called? <laughs> Communism. And Communism. I was like, oh, no, I can't get away from... <laughs> Guys, guys, Lauren is a little sick, so please forgive her for I, I am a, little a couple sick. of her it's brain It's allergies, guys. Yeah. It's just my brain is... Um, I can still talk about games. That's great. Anyway, so going back to games. Going yeah. back to games. Um, that uh, example that... And that story that Nicholas brought up is absolutely actually just... That's what's happening in the lawsuit right now. Kinda, Epic yeah. is just... Yeah. I mean, Epic's bringing someone, and it's not like so much stealing money in the, the capitalist sense, right? But it's stealing things that... and. That like then when your family is over there, right, and you yeah. your this person is just run around stealing, and for some reason you just you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Like, but your family's like, dude, they're just stealing from you, and you're like, I know, but you know, I actually like I can't stop them because they have like, you know, something something protecting them, like they have this shield. Yeah. And so then it becomes well now all, all of your family's like, oh, I'm never coming over here because you're gonna. Like, what if I invite you over and then you bring that somebody that brought that somebody? Well, then suddenly, and now they're losing customers. Like, that's yeah. where it becomes, like, customer versus, like, they're not really stealing money. They're stealing people. Yeah. But the thing is, like, the but the thing that Epic is objecting to in the contraction, like, so the thing is, on so you, we have this, like, very, very, like, 50,000-foot, like, perspective on the situation where Apple appears to sort of kind of be in the right. The problem is, is that, Epic really forced this lawsuit for a reason. And the reason is they're trying to object sort of indirectly to the implicit payment structure that everybody just kind of accepts because of the fact that Apple more or less has a monopoly on its own platform. And by the way, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but at least in the US context, like that sort of those monopolizing business practices are not legal. They're, they're not. But in the games industry and in sort of like software, especially when it comes to sort of like more recent storefronts like the Apple Store or Steam, there is, they're not perfect monopolies, but they definitely have monopoly-like qualities to them. And I actually think that it is a good thing that you have admittedly not terribly virtuous companies that are actually trying to undermine or at least fight back against that. Yeah, so for example, in the AAA space, what happened um, recently, what game, I forget what game it was, but one game that was really look, well reviewed and really looked forward to was actually an Epic Store exclusive. And the internet community raged because it's not on the one platform everybody has, Steam. Yeah. Why do you have to make me go to another store? But I mean, Epic, 
you know, helped fund their development. Like that, yeah. that's huge, right? Yeah. And if it was a Xbox exclusive or a PlayStation exclusive, like yeah. why would there have been rage? No, in fact, there would have been hurrah, right? Um, like, thank you for only being on the PlayStation. Oh, us Sony elitists. And I think that like, by the way, Nicholas, buy PlayStation. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that that's what's really been, I think, most interesting about this, because when you look at it from the old standard of, well, on Xbox or on PS4 or on um, like Sega, on Dreamcast, yeah. right? Like even all those old things, we now, everyone basically has a personal computer and it could be a Mac, it could be a PC, yeah. right? Even 10 years ago, getting games on the Mac was almost non-existent. Very difficult, I, yeah, yeah. Right? It was very difficult. And one of the few platforms that allowed games to be on Mac was Steam. Yeah. And so in that way, Steam was able to kind of carve that niche market on Mac, which I think has increased its, you could say, like as a distribution platform because it was able to be on both types of computers. But also with the phone, everyone has a phone and everyone has like a phone, like an app store on the phone, yeah. right? And it all kind of goes through Android, which is Google or Apple, right? The app store, yeah. which coined app, right? Hooray. Thank you, Apple. App. Apple. No, 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 no. That no, is I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I was like, please call me out right now. Uh, but I think, no, and, and that's, what, that's what people will think, right? That's yeah, why yeah, I said yeah, it. Because yeah, people yeah. will think, oh, well, Apple, app, app is short for application. Obviously, yeah. Apple invented A Apple, this. Apple-ification. Apple Apple-ification. <laughs> uh, no, obviously, they didn't do that. Like, yeah, Apple yeah. did not coin this, okay? Yeah. Apps were around before this. But people don't, especially, like, in the younger generation or just maybe people in general, right? You don't know that if you're not in the industry. Yeah. And so I think what's really important about this trial and also about the way we present this is it's really in this day and age right now yes. where people like Epic do actually have a case about Apple's monopoly. Yes. Right. Just like they would have a case against Steam's monopoly. Yeah. And other gaming platforms like itch.io. Yeah. While it's not a monopoly on say like the distribution of games in the way that Steam is because Steam actually takes a cut. Yeah. Right. Itch.io is just a free platform. Yes. So they, that is excluded from this, which yeah. is why it doesn't have any of the regulations that things like Steam or like Apple do. And this is incredibly important to realize because Epic does have a right to what they're saying, yeah. even though their arguments are kind of, they're kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, or a little all over the place. Apple also has a right to what they're saying because Epic is kind of skirting the law and the legal yeah. agreement that they signed by being on there. But yeah. is it fair to say that there should only be one app store on the iPhone and or say trade that with right the, the Play Store or, or your Android yeah. device? I don't know what it's called on Android. Uh, yeah, the Google Play Store. Because uh, I have an Android device. And the thing is, so to, to, to wrap this all up and, and bring it back, this is precisely what you just said is exactly why you should be asking the constitute question, not the is question. Because the way in which Apple's store, their storefront, their system is structured constitutes what an application can be on that platform through an elaborate legal apparatus known as like, you know, our tort system, as far as our civil code. In a similar way, the, like the Epic Store does exactly the same thing. It has different rules, but it tries to constitute what can be on their platform 
what can be in their games in a similar way. This Actually, it's just as true of Itch.io. Itch.io just happens to have fewer rules or almost no rules. <laughs> um, yeah, and but the rule is still yeah. no rule and you still have to agree to a privacy policy. Yeah, exactly. You check your yeah. boxes that you don't read, right? Yeah. So there is still something there. And so that's the thing is that, so all of these things, and I, I really love the fact that you pointed to the, like, what is going on now? What is happening right now? Because the thing is, when you ask is questions, you tend to ask these sort of like atemporal, like abstracted, it could happen anytime, anyplace, anywhere. But the th all of the things that Lauren pointed to are saying like, there are ongoing developments and those ongoing developments will determine both what games are but also what they can be, what they will be in an ongoing process. And so with that, I think we're going to, that's the first episode for this week. Um, for those of you who are signed up to our Patreon, you will have access to the follow-up episode in which we will get more in-depth into these conversations. Lauren, is there anything you'd like to leave our great listeners with before going? Well, thank you so much for summing that up. I really think that was a good way to end it. I just want to make sure that if you guys don't follow us on our Patreon yet, absolutely, please, please start. We know we're just starting out, but there's going to be a lot of really cool discussions on there and they can't happen if there's no one to discuss with. So if you're not committed to that yet, please yell at us on Twitter at Twitter.tipa and we'll see you on the net. Bye.